Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 68 for the week ending Monday, August 1st, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu, glad you could join me. Later on in today's episode, I'll be chatting with Nigerian angel investor and finance and economics commentator, Eloho Omame. I'll be speaking to her about her recent blog post on Medium entitled Thoughts Around Shinovic's Half-Year Report and the E-Commerce Industry in Nigeria, where she unpacks one of the week's most talked about stories and contributes to the debate of whether growth in Nigeria's e-commerce industry may be stalling. But before we get to that, we'll cover the week's news headlines, which include the GSM Association revealing that Africa now has over half a billion unique mobile users. MTN Nigeria taking firm steps towards going public in Nigeria come 2017 and 11 Tanzanian startups being awarded modest funding by a local innovation fund. That's all coming up, but do remember that if you've missed any of our past episodes, you can catch up anytime you like. Just click through to africantechroundup.com. Also, we'd love to hear from you, so do give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. And of course, if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can write us an email or send us an audio note via hello at africantechroundup.com. Now, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. Now, FreshBooks is offering you, a listener of the African Tech Roundup, a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. So go on and try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. Right now, though, it's on to this week's news. We start with some interesting findings detailed in a new study released by the GSM Association last week, which revealed that more than half a billion people across the continent are now subscribed to mobile services. This as Africa continues to migrate rapidly to mobile broadband networks. The report entitled The Mobile Economy Africa 2016 also highlights the increasing contribution of Africa's mobile industry to the continent's economy, including employment and public funding, and mobile's role as a platform for digital and financial inclusion. Certainly buzzwords. Uh, Now, it turns out that the use of mobile technology and services across Africa generated an impressive $153 billion in economic value last year, equivalent to 6.7% of the continent's GDP. Now, this contribution is expected to increase to $214 billion by 2020 as countries on the continent continue to benefit from the improvements in productivity and efficiency brought about by increased uptake of mobile services. Now, how's this, though? Despite there being 557 million-odd unique mobile subscribers across Africa at the end of 2015, that's equivalent to roughly 46% of the continent's population, making Africa corporately the second-largest mobile market in the world, the continent remains the least penetrated. Now, Africa's three largest markets, namely Egypt, Nigeria, and South Africa, account for around a third of the total subscriber base. So while there's plenty to celebrate... There is certainly a lot more to work on uh, to turn buzzwords like digital and financial inclusion into reality. To South Africa next, where the Nigerian e-wallet platform Airbits is partnering with the South African Bitcoin and Litecoin exchange IceCubed to enable South Africans to buy and sell Bitcoin and Litecoin using either South African Rand or the Nigerian Naira. 
Now, both firms are keenly surfing the current cryptocurrency wave. And like many other fintech startups in this space, they're constantly looking to aid widespread adoption of Bitcoin in parts of the world that they think can benefit the most from censorship-resistant transactions. Now, the deal now allows users of the Airbits app in South Africa to tap the Buy Bitcoin button in order to be redirected to the Ice Cubed exchange where they can then buy Bitcoin to load up their Airbits account. It's certainly been a busy few weeks in the fintech startup scene. Just two weeks ago, Kenya's Pesapal announced its plans to launch a point of sale system, a sort of a la square come Shopify situation targeting micro, small and medium businesses and allowing them to collect offline payments. And not to be outdone, this week, another fintech startup, the Cape Town-based Mama Money Remittance Service, has announced that it's partnering with the Zimbabwean mobile telco Telesel to reduce the friction of sending money from South Africa to Zimbabwe. Now, Zimbabwean-based recipients of cash sent from South Africa can now accept cash immediately via Telesel's Telecash mobile wallet, which is said to be roughly a third of the size of Econet's market-leading mobile money service, EcoCash. That has reportedly over 3 million subscribers. Now, this adds to Mama Money's existing partnership with the old mutual retail financial services subsidiary CABS in Zimbabwe. Uh, they have a deal with them to send remittances via its text-to-cash platform. I'd imagine given Zimbabwe's current cash crunch, though, it's probably a good time for regional money remittance services to be shopping for partners in Zim. I'm sure they'd be looking for any which way to get foreign currency flowing back into the country. Go FinTech! It's certainly been a big couple of weeks for that space. To Tanzania next, where the ICT sector development organizations Tanzikt and Costec, who run the Tanzania Innovation Fund, have awarded 11 startups in that country a total of 39,000 US dollars in funding. Now, the fund started out in 2012, uh, dishing out promising Tanzanian startups uh, something to the tune of 9200 US dollars in direct funding to get a share of the cash the startups have needed to be commercially viable and innovative uh, meaning they need to have solutions that address specific social and economic needs in Tanzania the applicants were also required to partner with reputable Tanzanian organizations uh, a total of 11 grants have since been made with the first six selected in April from a total of 132 applications. Now, the winners include the crop handling solution Multicrop Thresher, the avocado oil product Avemeru, Child Health Solution Toto Health Tanzania, uh, the reading app Haditi, the biofeed company Tabico, and the agritech startup Jammy Farm. Now, it's not a lot of money we're talking about, to be sure, but this is Africa. It's, it's not nothing, folks. Um, in the right hands, these pre-seed amounts uh, can translate to a lot. Uh, I'd like to think that the Tanzania Innovation Fund uh, is hopeful that with these startups linked to established players, they might not only get the kind of business mentorship they need, but if the ideas prove viable uh, business-wise, they might also be positioned to attract further angel and VC investment. That's certainly what I hope they're thinking. Um, otherwise, those kinds of money is just drops in the ocean. Uh, but we see you, TZ. Well done to all the successful startups up, up, and away. To Kenya next, where the founders of a little startup called Koo Hustle, which runs a platform that connects software developers with individuals or corporations that need their services, have returned from attending a three-month Y Combinator program. You might recall us talking about them on the show some months ago. They are now planning to expand into more countries across the continent. It's Worth mentioning, I guess, that Cool Hustle has recently pivoted from an open freelance marketplace to an on-demand platform, 
they're basically helping those looking to hire freelance tech developers for short periods of time now. And they're certainly achieving some impressive traction so far. The platform now has around 18,000 users with over 130 jobs being posted every month. Certainly wish them all the luck in the world. But staying with Kenya news, we reported on pistol shots fired by Telcom last week in South Africa's mobile data wars. But Uber seems to have pulled out a shotgun in Kenya's taxi hailing service wars. Uber has lowered its per kilometer rate in Kenya by 35%. It will now cost Kenyans 35 cents in local currency to ride with Uber down from 60 cents. I think this is definitely the first sign of how seriously Uber is taking all the competition it's facing in Kenya. It's also likely that they're worrying most about uh, the Safaricom-backed Little Cabs that was launched recently. Now, this is definitely Uber flexing its muscles to test the resolve of Safaricom, who are clearly not content to stay in their lane, excuse the pun. Uh, they're on some, well, this is what we do, and we're not about to sit by and let some silly mobile operator, however big, create a copycat and steal market share. Um, let's see how long your board's happy for little cabs to hemorrhage money, because we literally have all the money in the world. But then there's the likes of other ride-hailing services like Maramoja, Mondo Ride, and Pew and Cabs. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Uber wants you all dead, Okay. Uh, it's as simple as that. You're obviously doing something right, though. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't elicit such a fierce response from them. So hang in there and all the best convincing Kenyans that you can offer them value that's worth paying more for. Because I don't imagine matching Uber's crazy low rates as an option for you guys. In the meantime, though, Kenyans are likely hoping that these prices are here to stay. I can totally see this turning people into Uber junkies. And here's to hoping that doesn't turn into a habit that could become super expensive to keep up with further down the line when prices might go back up. We're holding thumbs for you, Kenya. To Nigeria now, where the MTN Group has started the process of listing its biggest subsidiary, MTN Nigeria, on the Nigerian Stock Exchange. Now, they've appointed Standard Bank and Citigroup as their transaction advisors. And they are reportedly on track to meet one of the conditions of the now infamous settlement they were granted by the Nigerian Communications Commission to put to rest the SIM card registration debacle they were involved in. The condition, of course, was that they list on the NSC while paying $1.7 billion over to the Nigerian Communications Commission over the next three years. Now, MTN Nigeria has said that it plans to float the shares as soon as is commercially and legally possible. And that's led to speculation that the firm is likely to go public sometime in 2017. Interesting times for MTN. We'll be keeping a close eye on developments around that. But finally, for something that got Nigerians involved in e-commerce, expressing themselves via social media with fervent energy this week, the Q2 report put out by the Swedish publicly listed investment group Shinovic and Nigerian Twitter and Facebook lost its collective mind. To say nothing of the blogosphere exploding. Now, here's why. You may or may not know that Shinovic owns a 34% stake in Nigeria's largest e-commerce site, Conga, as well as 13% stake in the German Rocket Internet, which in turn owns the Africa Internet Group, AIG, that recently was rebranded Jumia. Now, admittedly, Shinovic puts out a report like this once a quarter, and it's curious that the media fraternity present company included has never picked up on some of the data points revealed therein. But because Shinovic is a publicly traded entity, it's required by law to make public the performance of its subsidiaries, which allows us all a peek into just how well the likes of Conga are doing and therefore speculate on the health of Nigeria's e-commerce scene at large. Now, three data points lie at the heart of what got Nigerians debating this week. Firstly, 
Shinovic's latest figures show that only 184,000 Nigerians, or approximately 1.1% of all Nigerians, actively use Conga. Number two, Rocket Internet has lost 36% of its value. And three, all this data is courtesy of a publicly listed Swedish firm that indirectly controls a massive part of Nigeria's e-commerce industry, an industry that doesn't seem to be living up to expectation and certainly not keeping up with the likes of their contemporaries in places like India. So there you have it. The most awesome thing I think to have come out of all of this is the fact that it's led to a stimulating debate around just how big Nigeria's e-commerce market is, how potentially lucrative it is, what it'll take to grow it, and why it appears to be stalling. Now, there have been some debates about the evil foreign multinational interests who apparently aren't keen on contributing meaningfully to the tech ecosystem and to Nigeria's economic growth at large. These apparently are firms that are content to swoop into the continent to control our destinies and profiteer. Now, I can understand why some folks might feel that way, but I have to give a shout out to blogs like iAfrican.com, who featured a blog by Oladunmi Aditula, and of course, TechCabal.com, who hosted an insightful roundtable this past week featuring top hats from the likes of Naira Metric, Interswitch, and Supermart, uh, they, they've been helping to elevate the debate, I'd say. Uh, they've been injecting it with some much-needed pragmatism. That said, I also found Ngozi Dozi's blog on Medium entitled Conga's Numbers, Data Pornography for Nigerian Startups, rather amusing and insightful. But it's a Medium blog by Nigerian angel investor and finance and economics commentator Eloho Omame, entitled Thoughts Around Shinovic's Half-Year Report and the E-Commerce Industry in Nigeria, which I found to be the most helpful contribution to the debate of whether or not growth in Nigeria's e-commerce industry might be stalling. Now, I caught up with Eloho and asked her to shoot from the hip in unpacking some of the views she laid out in her blog post. Take a listen. I appreciate the fact that you said that, you know, the, the article was, you enjoyed it and it was widely read, and also that it started a discussion or a debate. I think ultimately... When some of us do these things, that's the only intention. Um, and as you can imagine, of course, the reactions and the responses are quite varied. Um, in the main, people appreciating that it's just part of a debate and a discussion. On the other hand, some other people, just from my perspective, just not being dispassionate enough about the discussion and getting a little bit too emotional because I think people view this as some, some sort of negative commentary on the size of the market in Nigeria. But I think ultimately for me, the, the, the numbers that uh, Chinovic released and in particular what they revealed about the size and the scale of Conga and how they're treating that investment internally just begs the question, how big ultimately is the market? I think we all understand what the market potential could be in a country of 100 and call it 170 million people, 140 million mobile subscriptions, 90 to 100 million internet subscriptions and call it 25 or so million smartphones. All of those indicators suggest that it's a nice, chunky population. And that should mean that you're able to scale a business like this um, quite well. And I'll come back to, you know, if time permits, why that scale is important um, from an economic standpoint. But, you know, all the indicators suggest that, you know, even if it's a market that's very thinly penetrated today, there should be, a, you know, there's potential for a very nice, steady, sharp growth trajectory um, to some penetration numbers that look quite attractive and means that you can build a nice, sizable, chunk, chunky business. What this article essentially was intended to say was a couple of things. Well, we've we've tried that thesis now for four years. Um, we look at um, one of the number two major e-commerce players in the, in the in the in the in in Nigeria, and we're looking at numbers of about 140, 140, 184,000, I beg your pardon, active users. You know, 
if you just look, not, nobody really has any real information on either of these companies, right? So, some, you know, a lot of us will be extrapolating. But if you try and take some sensible assumptions based on what we know about Jumia and how big Nigeria is relative to the rest of its business and what that might mean about its user numbers, that suggests by my estimates that there's 500,000 people, at least between the two of them, the two people who probably account for the significant, by far the most significant share of the market from an e-commerce perspective, are serving about 500,000 active customers. Um, that's a little bit disappointing from me, to, to me, I beg your pardon, to the extent that we're talking again, like I say, about a country of 170 million people, 100 million internet users, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the real debate and the real discussion is what's really going on? What is a true addressable market? Can we start to tap meaningfully into the population of people who are connected? Or are there structural issues in the market that mean that the level of investment today that's going into the market is just not enough for viable, massive viable pro um, propositions to come out of the e-commerce industry in Nigeria. And I think that's the real discussion um, and one that I hope, you know, we can continue to have. You know, let's take Facebook, for example, which in, in Nigeria has an excess of 16 million users. Mm. Um, one of the one of the arguments you, you started to make, uh, which may be what's going on, is is that perhaps to fully uh, realize the potential of the size of the Nigerian market, a significantly higher amount of investment would need to be to, would need to be plowed in in order to make e-commerce a thing. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side of that, it could also be argued that perhaps we've been selling the world in an unrealistic story about the potential of, this, of the size of that market. There's no doubt that in the next decade or two or three, we should see an onboarding uh, of users of, of the internet for the, for the purposes of e-commerce. Uh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. The question is, are the bets we're making and certainly the, the stories we're selling to VCs and others um, realistic given what's going on right now? And given <laughs> what you're saying about, I mean, we have mobile penetration numbers. I think the, this, this past week, the, the GSMA put out uh -huh. some incredible numbers about half a billion Africans now being sure. active mobile users. Sure. The question becomes, how many of those are, are ready for e-commerce? <laughs> customers, yeah, potential customers. No, I, 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 I want to say I agree that the real question is how many of those are potentially customers for e-commerce. For e I want to step away from making a commentary about the broader potential of Africa in this area. I think that's a minefield. <laughs> um, and also, you know, to be completely honest with you, you know, I will be the first to hold up my hand and say I know that Nigeria... Um, ecosystem, because I think that's a real debate and discussion here, the Nigeria ecosystem um, with regards to e-commerce, much better than I might know, you know, Kenya, for example, even South Africa, etc. Right. So I don't want to necessarily extend or extrapolate the views that I have on what may be going on in Nigeria to other parts of Africa. That said, I think underlying what you've just said is the question that says when we tell the world that there are 170 million Nigerians and there are 100 million um, uh, internet people connected to the internet, there's 140 million smartphones, some of those numbers we actually know are, um, some of those numbers to me are a little bit more credible than others. Um, for example, you know, I'm not sure when last we did the census. I think it's probably almost 20 years ago at this point, if not more. So for someone to tell me that there's 170 million Nigerians, I know there's a lot of Nigerians. I don't know if that number is 170 million, it's 120, it's 150. I really don't know. Um, if you mm. tell me there are 100 million mobile subscribers in Nigeria, that's a real number because ultimately it's from the, it's from the major telcos and they'll tell you this is how many people we have. But we know there's a level of duplication there, right? It's not unusual to be walking through, walking around Lagos and somebody else is holding, and you see people holding two, three phones. So scale that number down um, by a factor of two or three to get to ultimately the number of unique subscribers. That said, I don't know if all of those people are necessarily, um, it would be implausible to think that all those people, anyone who owns a mobile phone, for example, is um, 
it's, it's potentially a customer um, to the extent that, you know, don't forget, there's also no fixed line infrastructure. There's no real other means of communicating in Nigeria, right? So a phone becomes a necessity. Um, so, for example, um, some very, very low-skilled workers who may not necessarily have the kind of level of income to support actively buying or shopping on the internet also, you know, have, have a phone as, as a fairly basic commodity, right? So I think, again, you scale the numbers back for things like that. Facebook user numbers, I like numbers like that. You know, I think that starts to look like the sorts of numbers that one should be hanging their hats on. There's another number that's um, come out fairly recently around the number of bank accounts that we have in the country. So again, we've gone from 170 million people potentially to there being anywhere between 20 and 25 million, what we call bank verification. At numbers. best, actually. At, at best, best, right? So you, again, what is the size of the true market or of, of the potential addressable market? Put it that way. But then even if you believe that the number is 16 million, again, I come back to this thing of you've got the guy. I, I want to say I, I don't I don't have data. Right. Um, so some of this is speculative, mm -hmm. but I want to say that which is what makes it fun to be in Africa, <laughs> isn't it? And, and, and I suppose right. the, the dearth of data just makes the, the opportunity all that much more attractive to 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 VCs and angel investors like you. It does make it attractive, but it also means that I think you also, you also need to be very, very careful how you take your bets and the kinds of bets that you make, right? right? I think if we're talking about a country of, call it 60 million potentially in terms of addressable market, and in four years, we've only been able to scratch the surface of that with 500,000 customers, we look at Conga's numbers again, which are culled from um, Chinovic's historical reports. They've been putting these numbers out for the last three or four quarters, and I hold up my hand and say I hadn't noticed actually until this last um, this last one. From what I've seen, if Chinovic's numbers are to be believed, and I can't imagine why they would not be to be believed, um, the well, number they're actually, listed, so they're publicly listed. They're publicly listed. For them to, to exactly to fob. right. So if <laughs> yeah. you look at the user numbers, they've actually been declining since about the end of last year by about thirteen percent. So the one eighty four actually peaked at I think about two hundred and ten or so. Um, in a quarter where Conga every year traditionally does a, a major sale, so you know, call that peak. Um, unusual, right? Because it, 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 maybe there's a natural sort of slump in the quarters that follow that. Um, historically, the numbers, I don't know. Um, if you look at the Jumia numbers as well, there's a little bit of growth in there. But also don't forget, Jumia is reporting on an Africa-wide basis. It's in multiple countries. And one then that also has to extrapolate around what ha what's happening in Nigeria. What I would say is my best guess is that there's not a huge amount of user growth in Nigeria, right? At least there hasn't been in the last three or four quarters, based on what I've been able to surmise from the numbers that I've seen. That doesn't mean that the numbers cannot grow. That doesn't mean there's not a good enough reason for the reason for, for why the numbers might have declined or might be starting to slow down. Don't forget, we've also been going through a difficult economic period more broadly. And so there's a macro story and there's a backdrop to all of this. But again, it, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't stop us from having a debate around what the real market potential is here. And I think the sub-debate after that is what's the real market potential? Um, so there's an entire broader macro um, backdrop to that. But like I said, I think, you know, there's still a sub-debate that says if the market is a lot smaller than we think it is, right, and you have a market that is, for obvious reasons, quite difficult to operate, Right. So it's difficult to operate because there's massive there's a massive logistics burden on trying to operate these models in Nigeria. Um, there's potentially a massive inventory burden as well, um, depending on the business model that we are we are applying. Um, there are other considerations potentially with regards to actually my procurement from a government policy perspective. We've all seen what happened with the FX, et cetera. If those are the structural features of the market. Right. And those things then obviously have a cost on my business. How many users 
do I need to get to before the business has reached a sustainable um, financial profile? At what point has the business scaled to a point where my marginal customer is actually profitable rather than loss making? And what does that mean from a market share perspective um, in terms of how much of the market I need to have covered? And is it really viable for there to be two, three? Because, of course, you know, Jumia and Conga aren't the only ones in the market, right? There's a proliferation of smaller yeah. guys. Ultimately, there's Naspers and their brands. In the, you know, this part of the world, etc. In that mm-hmm. exactly, there's a bunch of other guys in the market. So, at what point, how many players can the market support? And at what point do we start to think about or start to see consolidation potentially amongst the players? One way is that we consolidate. Another way is another guy who potentially is massively funded and is able to attract massive amounts of of, of, of funding um, from from whatever sources are currently funding this kind of these kinds of ventures in Africa, just gets massively funded and takes everybody else out, and he just sort of you know goes goes for broke with regards to building out his um, user base, right, and growing his user base from a from a marketing customer right. acquisition perspective. All of those dynamics are what play out in this industry, and I think those are the discussions we should be having, as opposed to by no means was the post intended to say, you know, pack up and go home. This is never going to work. I think anyone who reads it that way misunderstands. Um, but, you know, we really should be asking ourselves what the potential is. The, the bigger conversation, or the, at least what interests me more than that, is in, in the context of globalization, mm-hmm. how long do we have before the Amazons mm-hmm. and the Alibabas come and disrupt the whole thing for everybody? For everybody, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, so people say, you know, e-commerce, in terms of feedback I've gotten, people have said, one guy said to me, well, big deal. All this tells me is that it might be a 30-year game in Nigeria, not a 20-year game like it took. We don't have 30 years. And I think it's really interesting (laughs) that somebody thinks that you have 30 years to put, exactly. Somebody thinks that these guys have 30 years to do this. Um, And I also wonder who's going to fund you for 30 years. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and one of the, one of the other arguments I, I've, I've seen on social is the one around the Naira devaluation. Mm. Oh, man, man. And I think it's kind of like you say, missing the point. You mm. know, my, my question to you, um, given, I mean, looking at Jumia's numbers, that being down 36%, uh, mm. at very least, we should see some growth, don't you think, regardless of the size of the market? What do you think is happening in that regard you know, in terms of just I, growing? It's difficult. I, 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 I'm surprised at how little growth we are seeing. Um, you know, again, this article has been really, really informative and really useful for me because, of course, a lot of people have used it as an opportunity to feedback. So one piece of feedback, for example, that I've gotten is a lot of a bunch of no, a lot of people is unfair. Um, a handful of people have come back and have said, you know, it's really interesting that you raise this point. I actively shop online, but I actually actively shop online using international sites. Um, the amount of money that I have spent on an Amazon, for example, this year is multiples what I have spent on a Jumia. Some guys would even say I haven't shopped on a Jumia at all this year. I spent hundreds of thousands, you know, sorry, a couple of hundred, a couple of hundreds of dollars on um, an Amazon. And people give a couple of reasons. User experience, right? So, you know, people say, have you tried loading that site up? It's a nightmare, what have you. Um, other people will say it's their inventory. Um, I just can't find what I want. I want a pair of jeans and it's a nightmare. Um, I think these, mo- the, 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 these, these questions affect, you know, effectively the use case, right? You say to, you, you, we, we build a thesis around um, there's massive fragmentation in our markets. It's much more convenient to go online and order it. You'll get it the next day, what have you. But I don't know. I think you've really got to create an experience that is smooth, easy for the customer from a search perspective to uh, um, a a fulfillment perspective, etc. 
Um, also payment, the payment processes, I think, can be very cumbersome. I, you know, sometimes they're just really, really painful. So I think until you fix some of those issues in the system, it doesn't really become a viable alternative to, frankly, just putting on my shoes, getting in the car and walking to a store to try and do what it is I try, I, I want to do. That might just end up just being more, more, more painless. What do you think is behind the reluctance of... Uh of we as Africans on the continent uh, in the in the startup hustle to to grapple these issues pragmatically as opposed to roping in issues of say nationalism or uh, neo-colonialism and that kind of thing is is it your exposure to um uh, to global markets i know you've been abroad you've and and you've made an intentional return to the continent to come and invest here and be you know participate quite actively specific to nigeria uh what do you think is keeping us from from realizing that um this could be bigger than than the debates we're having and and then how much should we read into the fact that uh the amazons and the the alibabas haven't made an overt uh move to come and dominate this market should that perhaps be a signal to us that perhaps it's nowhere near as large as we think or at least the potential in the in the short to medium term yeah. isn't as large as we can think. I don't know if that I wouldn't I wouldn't put it quite that way. So I'll answer the second question first. I wouldn't put it quite that way. I think there's still a big question around ultimately the potential market size in Africa. At the end of the day, we don't have real numbers. We have a sense of how big it could be. We know it could be a reasonably big opportunity. Um, but nobody has proven that by operating a business and getting it to some level of scale. Don't forget that Amazon has only fairly recently entered into India, for example. And India is a billion, yeah. you know, roughly a billion in, in, in people. Um, you've got Take A Lot and Snapdeal in the market. Sorry, I beg your pardon, not Take A Lot. Um, Flipkart and Snapdeal in the market. And you've got a Flipkart who's been operating, I think, about nine or 10 years now and have 20 million active users, right? So the thesis around India being a potentially big, chunky, addressable market has been proven. Flipkart is not operating um, sustainably yet. It's not operating at a profit yet. It's raised three and a half billion dollars or so in the last six years, I think, roughly. Um, and it's continuing to raise chunky, massive amounts of capital to invest in India because of, you know, frankly, India has a lot of the same issues that we have um, from a... Uh, uh, infrastructure perspective. So they're raising chunky amounts of capital, which is another reason I, I is another sort of benchmark for me when I think about, you know, Nigeria, just we haven't raised enough for the e-commerce industry. So it's a little bit unfair to say there's, you know, the, 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 the customer numbers are small. I don't know how much is actually being invested into growing those customer numbers. Those numbers seem reasonable. And to, to be fair, but and to be fair, eBay just rolled. Well, eBay just announced um, that they're you know looking at Nigeria in a whole new way yeah. a few weeks ago. So yeah. to be fair, I guess they, they, there is some interest. Yeah, it there is, is coming. Some interest. Yeah. And I think you know, an Amazon will come to the market when the market looks interesting. I'm sure that the Amazon guys sit around a table and think, what parts of the world look interesting next, right? And I'm sure Africa right. and Nigeria and wherever else, South Africa, what have you, will be on the list somewhere. Um, I think the reason yeah. that we may not have seen them yet is because for now, they're bigger, chunkier, more established, proven markets from this perspective than they are, than, than ours are, right? Um, so so yeah. that doesn't really worry me so much. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, the other part of the question was, you know, what stops people locally? I don't actually know if I think that's necessarily fair. I think for me, maybe I tend to have too much of a rigid view not rigid view around these things and what i mean is that i tend to see things perhaps from a lens that's a little bit too thin i don't know but my answer to that would be i don't think it's that people who are building these businesses don't know what um the ideal looks like or don't necessarily want to strive for those ideals from a user perspective from a user experience perspective what have you 
again, I think you're looking at a sector or you're looking at an industry that just traditionally, at least in the last four or five years, has struggled a little bit to raise those chunky amounts of capital that we see going to some other geographies and some other locations, right? There are lots of reasons why um, I would say that um, Africa potentially struggles to raise capital in the same way as other emerging markets do. I don't think that's the that's the subject of this podcast, but you know that happens, yeah. right? So you know, it's it's it, which of those problems you solve first? I'm sure if you're sitting here as an operator, right, you could solve all these problems if someone if someone was willing to sort of believe in you in that in in your dreams in that regard and trust you that it could be done and just give you massive amounts of capital to do it. But you know, for example, look at Ekonga. I estimate that they've raised maybe $90 million in the business since it started about four years ago. Some people have disputed those numbers and said that they're closer to 120, 130. Look, it may well be 120 or 30, right? But at the end of the day, these are not huge amounts of capital that we're talking about, right? Um, I wonder what Conga looks like if it had raised five times that. And even at five times 120, that's still only $600 million in four years. Um, uh, Flipkart has raised in six years 3.5 billion. Yes, it's a bigger market, etc. But even if you scale that back for the relative sizes of the opportunities, what have you, we're still Nothing, lagging. Not comparable at all. It's not comparable at all. So I think it's a little bit chicken and egg. Um, so in some ways, it's actually difficult to say that the market isn't big enough until you've tested it and you've really put capital behind marketing and customer acquisition, etc. I think there'll be a period where the economics are pretty ugly. I'm sure Amazon had pretty ugly economics when it first started. But that's the entire premise of the model, right, is that it, it once it's, it's, it's low volume, sorry, it's high volume, low margin, right? So once the business starts to scale, um, and scale quite rapidly is the point at which you start to see it turn to profitability. And the question is, how long will that take? And I think the answer, in answering that question, how long will it take? You can't get away from the funding point, right? So we can get there faster, depending on how much capital we're raising behind these, the, these companies. And if we're not raising capital quickly enough and we're not growing our user numbers quickly enough, uh, it probably is a little bit unfair, but it'll take a while before we can prove to an invest to to an investor base like to an investor like an Amazon, for example, um, or even you know the private equity VC guys that actually this market is viable, right? I may just not have enough capital to prove that. Um, yeah. To to prove that a customer will use my my product or my service just yet. Right. And so I'd like you to just pretend for a moment I'm a chief executive <laughs> of both Jumia and Conga, mm. and I'm appointing you. Uh, an executive uh, <laughs> an executive advisor to our board to help us respond to some of the realities um, you've outlined in, in this conversation. Look, I don't think that I'm going to say anything that these guys don't already know, right? Um, so I, I assume the, that the, my board is as clueless as, our, as, I, as I truly am <laughs> on some level. <laughs> I believe fundamentally that Africa is a big prize to play for, right? And I think in order to win that prize, ultimately, it's about capital. It's going to be about capital. The, the way that Conga is going to win this market over Jumia is going to depend on, frankly, the extent to which it is able to raise capital. And the extent to which it is able to raise capital will depend on, some of it is out of Conga's control. Some of it will depend on um, the broader macro context and the broader macro story, which tends to make a lot of investors that look at this part of the world a little bit jittery. I think that the um, an advantage, call it, that a Jumia or an Africa Internet Group has potentially over a Conga with regards to an equity story perspective is that, I beg your pardon, they're able to go and say to an investor, look, I'm pan-African, you get a geographic diversification, um, as well as, of course, a bigger addressable market through me because I'm in multiple countries as opposed to just Nigeria. So I understand those challenges, but I think ultimately 
who wins this market is going to depend on who is able, who, who, who's, who's well-funded and well-capitalized with regards to going after it. Um, from an operational perspective, I don't really want to give too much advice around what these companies should do. I think that at the end of the day, when you run a business like this, you need to make trade-offs, particularly if you would like to be you know, funding it perhaps two, three to the tune of two, three times the amounts of capital that you're able to raise at the moment, right? Everyone would like to do everything for, you know, everything at the same time, I'm sure. But these guys ultimately will have to make trade-offs. I know that they work very, very hard. Um, Sim is a great guy who has spent um, he's quite passionate about this business, actually. And for him, it's much more than just people coming to shop online. It's about a fundamental improvement in the way that Nigerians live, right? And a fundamental improvement in their quality of life, et cetera. So the vision is big. The vision is there. Um, and for me, it's just really ultimately about um, attracting funding. I think that, yes, they will tell you that sometimes um, both of these businesses probably tell you that human capital, probably second, second to capital, human capital is the biggest challenge they potentially face, um, both from a developer perspective, um, all of the, all of that kind of thing. Um, and unfortunately, again, look, call me a cynic. I think those kinds of those kinds of questions are solved with money. <laughs> right. So for me, it all comes down effectively to funding. Yeah, the best talent costs money. <laughs> they won't work for free. <laughs> it all, yeah, it all comes down to this funding question. Um, you know, in terms of running these operations, I don't doubt that either of these guys um, could do a fantastic, smooth, um, you know, could build a frictionless platform. It's it, it comes down to it comes down to how much capital they have um, to to throw at it. I think it's also curious that even um, Naspe is you know Southern Africa's largest player in this space. Um, hasn't you know hasn't sort of featured into the debate? They're they're hurting right now. Yeah, yeah, they are. You know, if you look at their portfolio, it's interesting that 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 hasn't been mentioned yeah, at all. Yeah, if you look at their they're, they're hurting, and also if you look at the portfolio of um, companies that they have in this space as well, you know, the picture is pretty mixed. Um, yeah, and that's probably putting it a little bit mildly. So you know, so it's the model is challenged, and I think that's why you see this pivot. Um, which is certainly consistent of Nigeria, and I'm sure it's also true um, about some other markets um, as well in Africa. But I believe I think it's true of, of Souk.com, for example, which is sort of North Africa. And I want I think it, it's partly true of it for, of a take a lot in South Africa. But you see this pivot in Nigeria where the two major players, I don't know what their market share is, but let's say they have a, I believe I, I, I could easily believe they have 80 percent of the market in Nigeria. But you see these two guys basically making this pivot into what they call a marketplace model, which effectively looks more like an Alibaba than an Amazon when it first started, right? So inventory light, um, merchants selling their goods through the platform, um, Jumia Conga may or may not fulfill, I suppose. Um, I think a lot of the fulfillment they do themselves, but they don't necessarily do all of it themselves, all in a bid to effectively change the revenue model and also just take some of the costs out of the bottom half of the income statement, right? And then get to, you know, scale and get to profitability much quicker. There's also an argument to be said for the fact that this model is potentially more appropriate for the kinds of markets that we're operating in, given massive fragmentation um, in our in our in our informal markets, right? Which is still the bulk of where we go to do our retail. You know, it's probably quite different in South Africa, but in Nigeria, I'm sure you visited. It's we don't have that many formal stores, right? A lot of our trade um, is still done in markets, etc. And that doesn't mean that the traders themselves are necessarily unsophisticated. Um, a lot of these guys I've actually met. I've talked to some merchants that are potentially on some of these platforms, and they're actually very very savvy about their businesses. They just don't have scale, right? So there's a massive amount of fragmentation. So perhaps actually um, that model 
makes sense for a Nigeria in the same way as it did in a China, right? Because those are some of the features um, around how, around why Alibaba decided to apply the model that it did in China. So we're still finding our, our, our footing. We're, we're discovering the model, the models that are more appropriate for Nigeria and other parts of Africa versus others. We're discovering what the capacity of the market is. We're discovering sort of the addressable market size, et cetera, et cetera. I think ultimately we will get there faster <laughs> based on how much capital we're able to raise, right? So if we can accelerate and really drive the capital engine on one side, you'll see all of those indicators start to move in the right direction. You'll see the growth numbers coming through. And then the question will then become, okay, um, this is the level of investment that I need to put into this business to be able to get it to be that smooth customer experience. And then the next question then becomes, how quickly do I need to accelerate the revenue line and my user numbers to get me to a point where I'm actually profitable and my economics makes sense? But all of those questions for now, I think, are a little bit difficult to have where the major constraint that you have on the business is, is, is capital. And again, you know, I don't think these are these are not questions that haven't been answered before and haven't been answered el elsewhere. I think if you if you have the right amount of capital to put into marketing, to put into customer acquisition, to take some degree of losses around your customer acquisition, we'll see the results you'll see of the that. growth and you'll see the results. You know, you, you'll invest some of that capital, of course, into, again, the user experience or everything from the payment side of things. And you can actually see it if you if you look at where these companies are focusing their efforts. So Conga has tried to fix a couple of issues on the payment side. So they've got Conga Pay. They've got something I think they call M-Commerce, which I'm not entirely sure how that works. But the point is that that is with, with a view to addressing the payments element of things. You see investments going into building the logistics and the infrastructure side of things. All of these things mean that, of course, the model is inherently or structurally potentially more expensive than it might be elsewhere. And that means the hurdle to scale is higher. But the point is that if you see where all of this activity is, you see that it's with regards to just solving that broader um, question around the user experience. Um, I, I'm hopeful. I want to see these guys raise lots and lots of capital. Um, you know, I... Conga holds a special place in my heart. Um, but ultimately, you see, I think even two days ago, right, an Africa Internet Group announced that they raised $50 million from or $55 million, $50 million, 55 euros, I think, from um, CDC, which is um, the UK government's investment arm. Um, which was also criticized as as a sign that no one else will give them the money. They've had, they're going to institutional money. Look, maybe, <laughs> right? Maybe. I don't know if that's... Uh, I don't know if that's a I fair guess. criticism, but look, who knows? Um, and also, I'm not even sure that that necessarily matters. <laughs> um, I Money is money. Money is money. <laughs> I think if they show the growth, if they show the traction, we'll have people biting their hands off around that business. I think from a competitive standpoint, though, my eyes are all over Jumia, AIG, Rocket Internet, because I think that Rocket is having a pretty hard time of it. Rocket is, at the moment, their share price is about half of where it was at IPO not too long ago. Um, lots and lots of criticism around a level of um, opacity around how these businesses operate and how profitable they are and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Are they doing too much? Are these businesses really viable? Does this thesis really work in some of these emerging markets? Yes, we see it working in parts of Latin America, but what's going on in that, in that Africa part, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you've got a rocket internet who is desperate to get this, to, to, to have this equity story prove out to be, you know, to prove this equity story that it's sold to the market, right? Um, the, the Samway guys, they'll give the impression in their interviews that look, you know, it will come good and we're not too worried about it. I suspect that they're more, they're more worried about it than they necessarily let on. So I'm sure that when the doors are closed and they're all sitting in their boardrooms, et cetera, they really have a big question mark around how they get Africa to work. And you see a little bit of that coming through 
in um, the fact that they've consolidated, for example, all of their Africa brands under a Jumia, I think actually think that's a masterstroke, right? Because you then think about online, any kind of delivery, et cetera, as Jumia, right? And then it starts to um, have that sort of Amazon effect, right? Whereby you you go to Amazon effectively and you organically, you organically search through Amazon as opposed to going through a search engine, for example, or you think, I've got to find something, I'll go onto Amazon. Perhaps you will get to a point where right. there's a single platform and you want to get anything delivered to you, whether it's food, whether it's general merchandise, what have you, and you think, oh, immediately I go to Jumia. Think one word. Yeah, and I'm sure there's synergies as well from a marketing cost perspective, right? They're saving money by only marketing yeah. one brand. And all that speaks to, again, just the economics around the business. So there's activity. It might seem like sometimes that there's little or no activity, but I think if you're paying attention and you're looking at um, where these guys are spending their time, it points to actually some of the pressures around the business. And um, and and I think it's a really interesting story. It's one that I, I, I continue to follow. Um, I yeah. see... It sounds like you're cautiously bullish. My life will be a lot easier if I'm able to sit in Lagos, right? And log on to one of these websites not even think about it and it comes to you know it's on my doorstep a few hours later which is actually currently what happens in amazon i can make an order on amazon in the morning and by 6 p.m it's sitting on my doorstep right in in the uk for example right so if if, if that's the promise by all means right it's, a, it's it's it'll be great for the investors in those business it'll be fantastic for the entrepreneurs it'll be awesome for the customer it'll be fantastic for job creation so i absolutely want it to happen i think we haven't cracked it yet um, I suspect that when we start to see big, chunky capital flow into the system, that's when we'll start to see some really interesting dynamics. For now, I'm a little bit disappointed in the growth, but I don't, I don't, I don't view that as a criticism of the proposition as a whole. I think it just means that there's lots of fine tuning that still needs to happen around the model, around how, you know, how we can raise capital for these businesses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By no means a death knell. <laughs> no, no, not at all. A big thank you to Eloho Omame for taking the time out to speak to me. Be sure to check out her article on Medium. It's called Thoughts Around Shinovic's Half-Year Report and the E-Commerce Industry in Nigeria. You can also follow her on Twitter at Eloho Omame. You should find the article pinned to her profile. Otherwise, what's your take on the state of Nigeria's e-commerce industry? Are you bullish or bearish on the future ahead? Do you agree with Eloho's assertion that to match the performance of India's e-commerce scene, we need loads of big money to flow into the market? Let us know what you think on Twitter at African Roundup, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup, or drop us an email or voice note via hello at africantechroundup.com. Now, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. Go ahead and find out what all the fuss is about and try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. And that's the week's show, folks. Catch it again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com at 9 a.m. Central African time. Until then, I'm Andile Masubu. Take it easy, Africa. <laughs>